morning, everybody. Ooh, look at this crowd. There is a revival happening at the Tabernacle. I like it. I mean, isn't it wonderful to be back in church, man? And I tell you, it's awesome. And so for those of you online, we welcome you. We love you. Uh, but when you get healthy and you feel safe, get back to church. Can I get a hallelujah? Man, we're not going to let the devil keep us inside. Uh-uh. It's a beautiful day. It's great to be with you today. Um, we had a beautiful drive up here once again from the city of Chicago. And uh, so we join you, Kenosha. We have survived all riots. Amen. And uh, God is sovereign and on the throne. Today, I do have my beautiful family again. I always take them wherever I go. They make me look better. And so that's really, really important. But I also have my oldest daughter, so it's her first time here today, Abigail. So welcome, Abby, today. She is a Moody Bible Institute student, which means she's really Bible smart. So she's critiquing Dad now when he preaches, telling me when I get things wrong. All right, so... Um, a couple of weeks ago, I started uh, a sermon on spiritual warfare from Ephesians 6. So our task today is to finish that sermon, that text. And I would just have you turn to Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles, if you have it. And we're going to start in verse 10. I want to have everybody stand up. This is such an important Bible passage that it's worth reading all the way through and really celebrating here as a church, as believers and for those of you who are investigating the gospel, this is a great passage to kind of jump in on your journey to Jesus Christ. But Ephesians chapter 6, and let me read the whole passage starting in verse 10. And here's what Paul says. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Amen, amen, amen. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, have, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we thank you for this word. We stand under it and we await you to speak to our hearts today. God, give me the words. Holy Spirit, give me the words that would be right for this audience. Help me to get out of the way 
and to not interfere with what you're doing in this church, to be a servant and a vessel today to this church. And if anything I say would not bring you glory or honor the gospel, may it quickly fall to the ground and be easily forgotten, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I mean, look, here's the deal. We are involved in a war of intense fury. Every single day when you and I get up, we are in the fight of our life. And the world wants us to think that life is a recreational activity, and I promise you it is not. I remember when Sherry Baby and I got married, you know what I mean? And I looked a lot better then, by the way, and I was taller too. But, but man, I remember when we got married and we had all these dreams and we were going to have all this stuff and all this great furniture and these great houses and great cars and everything like that. But you quickly realize, don't you, when you get married, everybody knows who's been married, you quickly realize that marriage is not a recreational activity, it's a fight. And the question is, I always say this as a pastor too, by the way, it's not a question of whether you're going to fight or not. It's whether you're going to fight for each other or against each other. Life is a fight every single day. And we are involved in a war of intense fury. And I hate starting out messages that, are, that start out negative. I promise you we'll get positive here real quick. But here's the thing. The thing is this, is that we are in over our heads is what Paul is saying. You're in a fight you cannot win. And the reason why you can't win it is because your battle is not against flesh and blood. And if you're like me, people uh, live in my mind rent-free, you know what I mean? My enemies, I have these imaginary enemies, and I always think that my problem is Bob down the street or Sally down the street or, you know, the family member that drives me crazy at Thanksgiving, but they are not the problem. Can I get an amen? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. There is a devil. There is malevolent forces at work. There are demonic powers at work, cosmic powers over this present darkness. And Paul says, we have to stand against these schemes that are overwhelming to us. And I have a quote from a, a scholar. He wrote this, and I thought it was really good. His name is Snodgrass, and he said this about the schemes of the devil. Paul says, the schemes of the devil, and he said this, quote, mention of the schemes of the devil reminds us of the trickery and the, the subterfuge by which evil and temptations present themselves in our lives, evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by, the appearing, uh, by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is baited and camouflaged trap. That's the schemes of the devil. And we're overwhelmed. We're in over our heads. And we say, well, what is, what's, the, what's the purpose of these dark forces of malevolence and these diabolical powers at work? What is Satan's goal? And his goal is really simple. It's division. Everybody say division. He will use any scheme, any disguise, any temptation to divide you. And to divide you, first of all, from the God who is trying to redeem your life. 
He wants to keep you as far from God as possible. And he'll use religion and self-congratulatory good works and being moral to make yourself puffed up with pride to keep you from your Redeemer. Or he will use irreligious realities, a world of technique and technology that makes you think that God is not relevant to the real business of life. Satan will bleed through culture and he'll say to you that all practical problems have practical solutions. That God is this kind of archaic idea and he's trying to divide you from your redeemer. He's a divider. And he's trying to divide you from people you love. He's trying to get you to actually hate people that you actually love. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? He's trying to divide your marriage, your families, your church. And he's got all kinds of schemes to work that out. He's trying to divide you from people that you love. He's trying to divide you from yourself, who you were made to be. He's trying to divide you. Remember, remember Adam and Eve? And they took the fruit, and the serpent tempted them, and they, they took and they ate of the fruit. And do you remember what God said? He said, where are you? As if God didn't know where they were, right? And they said, we were afraid. Everybody say afraid. In other words, their inner emotional life was being ripped apart by Satan, by the schemes of Satan. And Satan is trying to divide you from living on planet Earth for divine purposes. He wants you to live for your own purposes, for your own glory, to build your own world and to not live for God. God Satan is a divider, and we're overwhelmed. And you know, I mean, I'm kind of a masculine man. Can I get a hallelujah? This is just... I know I've got a lot of girls, so I really try to be masculine. And I'm vertically challenged, and short guys always try to prove how tough they are. Hallelujah. You know, what? and so what I want is like, like, yeah, man, I believe there's demons. Who doesn't believe there's demons? I mean, come on. Who doesn't believe that there's not satanic forces? And so what we want is we want a book and a YouTube channel. You know what I mean? Like, where's the YouTube channel? And we want the YouTube channel that's called Demon Hunters. You know what I mean? And like, how do I hunt down me some demons and chop off the, you know, the head of Satan? And Paul says, don't do that. You don't have to figure out all of the regions of the demons and where they dwell and how they work. What Paul says is very simple. He says, you need to not go and conquer Satan. You need to surrender to Jesus. He says, you need to run as fast as you can and root your life in the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. If you do that, you don't have to understand anything else about Satan. He says, be strong in the Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus, the one who was born in a cave, the one who fulfilled the righteous demands of God's law, the one who died on the cross, the one who defeated death, the one who said, whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Come to me, my burden is easy. My, my yoke is, is easy. You, you know the thing. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to get political there. I... You know what I'm saying? It's, it's helpful, though. He says, man, you come to me, and you will find rest for your soul. Be strong in the Lord. And Paul's not saying, like, work up strength in Jesus. In the Greek, sorry to bring up Greek, but it's a passive verb, which means be strengthened by the Lord. You don't even have to be strong in Jesus. You don't have to have great faith or spectacular religion or, you know, levitate in the name of the Holy Ghost or any of that stuff. All you got to do is have childlike faith. The faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Why? Because, 
Because we're not trying to move the mountain. We're saying, Jesus, you can move this mountain. You can be my strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's why he says, put on the full armor of God. Take up, cover up. Envelop your life as a Christian with Christ. Array your very existence with God and Jesus and the word of God. That's what he's saying. Because God will fight your battles for you. He will love you. He will take away the fear so you're no longer divided from yourself. He'll bring unity to your marriage again. He'll build a church of unity, of like-minded people who are on mission. Jesus can do that. We can't, but he can. And so what we're doing is we're standing against the schemes of the devil in the strength of Christ. We're standing against the schemes of the devil in the strength of Jesus Christ. And last time we looked at how to do that. How do you do that? How do you run to Jesus? Like, I'm a practical guy, man. You know what I mean? I don't like over-spiritualized sermons. I need the word of God plain and simple, preacher. And that's what Paul does. He says, this is real simple. He says, you need to belt on that truth. He says, you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. He says, you need to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace and be ready. And now we move from where we left off. And so we pick it up. How, how do I stand in the strength of Jesus against the schemes of the devil? Let's look at it and let's pick it up where we left off. Look at verse 16. Ephesians 6, verse 16. This is so good. He says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. I love that. He says that the evil one is throwing at us darts. Notice it's plural. How many of y'all realize this? It's plural darts. I wish it was only one dart a day. But, you know, it's like, Problems tend to pile up upon problems. And you're like, what else is going to happen to me this week? How many of y'all had a week like that? Like, right? Like, man, when it rains, it pours. When I was growing up, my dad used to ask me, how's your day going? And if I was having a bad day, I was like, well, you know, it's kind of a bummer day. And then he would say, this is how my dad encouraged me, which this will explain a lot about my issues. And he'd say, well, how's your day going? I was like, it's kind of a bummer, you know, it kind of sucks, you know, whatever. And he would be like, he'd be like, oh, really? He's like, you know, it goes like this for days, and then it gets worse. <laughs> like, thanks, Dad. Thanks. You know what I mean? But the devil is throwing at us darts, and, and they come through circumstances. And everything falls apart, and everything goes wrong in your day. And, of course, we're tempted to think when our life is falling apart that God must not like us anymore. I must not be blessed. Because we American Christians have this great temptation to, de to define God's blessings in terms of prosperity and things and stuff. And we forget that really the blessing is not what you have in your living room. It's who's in your living room. And so circumstances come against us and they're like fiery darts coming. It's like a Braveheart movie, you know what I mean? And that these fiery darts are coming at us. And Paul says, listen, how do you stand in the strength of the Lord? You need to take up the shield of faith. And the thing about this shield of faith is it has two sides, and faith has two sides to it. I want to describe faith to you. This is so important. Faith has two sides, and the first side of faith is this. Biblical faith is not a virtue. It's a confession. That's very important. 
Faith is not a virtue, it's a confession. Because the first thing faith is, is I am weak. That's what faith is. Faith is, I cannot do this. Faith is, as John Calvin said, John Calvin said, faith is like empty hands reaching up to God and saying, I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to offer. I'm overwhelmed by the darts and the circumstances and the life, and I am not strong enough to deal with this. Satan wants us to describe our spirituality as like a spectacular religiosity kind of thing. You know, this, this you know, we got we to gotta work our way up and we got to talk all the time in over-spiritualized language and we got to wear really nice navy blue blazers. Can I get an amen? Aren't I so spiritual? Man, if God is impressed with me, then he'll bless me. If God's impressed with my religion, then he'll deliver me. If God is impressed with my religion, then I'll be healed and I'll be wealthy and I'll get everything I want and everything will fall my way. And let me tell you something, that is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is a confession. I'm a sinner, I'm needy, I'm broken, but I believe that God, you will work in my brokenness and make sure I'm not defeated because I'm admitting to you that I need you. I need you. Faith is a confession. My grandmother used to say all the time, it's not about having great faith in God, it's about having faith in a great God. Ooh, she could preach. She was Presbyterian. She could preach. She's a little boring, but she could preach. It's about great God. That's what faith is. You know, Abraham, every time, he's the great father of faith. You know, Abraham's the great example of faith in the Bible. And talk about a jacked up soul. I mean, this guy couldn't get anything right because he kept saying, well, I'm going to do it for Yahweh. And then he would totally fall on his face, right? And the times when he overcame, the times when he had victory was the time when he finally said, I'm so tired, God. And you remember what God said to Abraham in Genesis 15? He said, Abram, fear not, for I am the Lord, and I will be your shield. I will be your shield, Abram. You don't have to do it anymore. So faith, this shield has that one side of confession. The second side of faith is it is confidence in the promises of God. Right? So you got two sides to faith. One, I have empty hands, and yet faith trusts, in fact, stakes your very life on the promises, the existence, and the person of God. Faith says, even though I'm not strong enough to get through this, I am going to stand on your promises. And I believe, God, that your promises are sufficient even when I don't feel like it. Even when I'm not, even when I'm not feeling spiritual, I still believe if I stand on your promises, I will be okay. That's faith, man. And when you come to church, you come to church, and the first thing to do to get victory is to say, I need help. And the reason why I'm here is because I believe God will provide it. There's a great story in the Old Testament, one of my favorites, man, where there's this king, his name is Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat's a great king, a great leader, really super great leader. And he comes and he becomes king of Judah, and Judah needed total reform, right? So they needed total reform, and the prophet comes to Jehoshaphat and said, Man, Judah is a really jacked up nation. They need reform, they need renewal, they need leadership. And so Jehoshaphat steps up, man, he's like, Count me in, I'm king. And so he reforms all of Judah, gets everything organized, they're honoring the Lord again, they're doing all these things. And then the next thing you know, Jehoshaphat and his nation is surrounded by a vast enemy. 
and he's overwhelmed. He's outnumbered by, by the Ammonites and the Moabites and the, and the parasites and the mosquito bites. You know, they're, they're just surrounded. And so he doesn't know what to do. And, and this, this great leader, this strong, noble man, lifts up a prayer before his whole nation. And he gathers his whole nation together. And he prays with them. And he has this great prayer. And listen to what he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 12. He says this, this great leader, I love this vulnerability, this is the key. He says, God, we are powerless against this vast army that is coming against us. We do not know what to do. How many of y'all are there this week? I don't know what to do. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then a prophet, Jehaziel, Prophet Jehaziel comes along, and in response to this admission of weakness, he says to Jehoshaphat and the nation of Israel, he says, do not be afraid. This is verse 15. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great, vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it is the Lord's. That's the shield of faith. I admit, I admit that I need help, and I admit and believe that God can help me, and he wants to help me. He wants me to run to him, and he wants to deliver me. I stand on his promises. That's how we stand in the strength of Jesus Christ. But not only that, we come back to Ephesians chapter 6, and not only do we have the shield of faith, but we have in verse 17, let's look at it, Ephesians 6 verse 17, uh, Paul says, he says, and take the helmet of salvation. Love this. Take the helmet of salvation. Now this is real simple. This is real simple. The helmet of salvation. Helmet obviously protects the head. And what's our helmet against the enemy? Our salvation. And to put it really simply, and I know this is over, you know, it's going to seem like it's oversimplified. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. Here's the deal. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are saved. Let me say, that's a great place for an amen. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are saved. Amen. And where I come from, we come from down south, so we say that with some attitude. I'm saved. You know, that's what we say. I am saved. And the reason why I'm saved is because Jesus has earned the right for me to be right with God. Jesus, by his blood and in his death, he gives me atonement for all of my sins. And one death of Jesus Christ, because he's the son of God, is more than enough to cover all my sins. Can I get an amen? Now, this is, this is, this is important. You're like, well, this isn't a Billy Graham crusade. What are you doing? No, 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 man. This is the gospel. This is big stuff. This is no joke. Because the question isn't whether you're saved or not as a believer. The question is, is your mind gripped by your salvation and the security that you have in Jesus? That's very important. Because what Satan wants us to do is to forget that we're right with God. He wants us to be insecure. He wants us to doubt our salvation. He wants, to think, he, want us, he wants us to think that we could actually lose this salvation. And not only that, he wants us to forget the eternal life part of our salvation. That in Jesus Christ, watch this man, this is incredible stuff. In Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, you have an inheritance that includes all of the kingdom of God. 
Like that's yours. And you've been given a deposit of that coming kingdom with the Holy Spirit in your life. You are rich. Can I get an amen? You're like, do you believe in the prosperity gospel? Absolutely, because I'm getting the whole kingdom of God. I am saved. I don't really believe in the prosperity gospel. Let me be clear. I don't believe in the American prosperity gospel. I believe in the spiritual prosperity gospel. That I have every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. I'm saved. And you know what Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39 says? It says that nothing outside of me and nothing in me can separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said? He said, what, who can bring a charge against God's elect? God chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then grace came and opened up your heart and you believed in Jesus and you're justified by faith alone. You have the whole inheritance. And what Satan wants you to do is to walk out in this world and pretend like you've got something to negotiate with the world. we got nothing to negotiate with the world. What are they going to give to us of any significance? What a big house. Who cares? The world is not the place where I go and find God or find my identity or find who I am or any of that stuff. The world is the place where I go and glorify God based on what I already have in Jesus Christ. And what Satan does, I know I brought this up last time, but this is so important. I cannot tell you how important this is, especially in our culture. You live in a culture of accusation. That's all that's happening right now. It's programs of condemnation. It's programs of, of, a, of a type of salvation that you have not earned and that you never will actually earn. Culture has become legalistic. It's full of Pharisees, secular Pharisees, that look at you like the Pharisees in the Bible looked at other people and said, you will never be good enough. And we live under the reign of accusation and programs of condemnation that are supposed to change our society. And they never will because programs of condemnation changes no one. Programs of condemnation cannot modify human behavior. You can't change the way people feel about other people by condemning people. Can I get an amen? It's so true. And God says, I've got a program of transformation that's not condemnation and accusation. I got a program of transformation that is acceptance. And from a position of knowing that you know that you know that you're loved from God, you will begin to love people better. You will begin to be humble in your relationships with other people. And you'll be more willing to admit when you're wrong because you have security. And security always gives us room and margin in our spirit to say, I'm wrong. But it's not the end of the world. You're not crushed by your sin. You confess it and move on. Knowing that God has thrown your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. But that's the very thing culture doesn't want to do, isn't it? They don't want to throw any sin into the sea of forgetfulness. They want to keep a record of wrong and call it love. And it's not and what the church has is such a beautiful thing for all people, black or white, poor. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your gender is or even what your confusion is. The gospel comes and says, God will meet you where you're at and his grace will take you where you couldn't go otherwise. That's why Jesus is the savior of the world. And his outstretched arms on the cross 
are God's welcoming sign to broken people who need to be healed and reconciled to God. And when you're reconciled to God, you can be reconciled to each other. This is the secret to Christian marriage. This is the secret to church unity. Because what do we do when we come to church? We're not, we're, we're not coming to church to hear anything new. It's not like, I hope I go to church and get some new spiritual insight that's never been said before. No, you know why we come to church? To hear the gospel tell me once again, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I need that. Because I did not have a perfect week this week. I am not by nature a holy man. My righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, get your mind set on that. That's why Paul said in another passage, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and following, another great passage on spiritual warfare, by the way, he said this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, that is not of human opinion or origin or intellect. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. Everybody say arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know what Paul's saying? He's like, you need to take... You need to take that salvation and you need to take every thought captive in your life and make it obey Jesus. That is that Jesus is your substitute. He is your righteousness. He is your God and your Lord and your Savior. And you need to stake your life on it. And you've got to get weird. You've got to talk back to yourself. How many of y'all like to talk to yourself in the car? It's a great spiritual discipline. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was this great preacher, and he preached in uh, London back in the mid-20th century. He used to say this to his congregation. He used to say, you know, every day you have a decision. You can either listen to yourself or talk to yourself. And when you wake up in the morning, all you're doing is listening to that voice in your head, and you can't control it. How many of y'all know that? It's just talking to you. And you're ta it's talking to you about your enemies and all the things that frustrate you. And it's talking to you about all of your life and your circumstances. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the gospel gives us the ability to talk back to ourselves. And to say, self, this is where you've got to get weird. I know it's weird, but it's a spiritual discipline. You've got to say, self, that is a lie that you just said in my heart. That is a lie. And I am going to stand on the truth and not on a lie. And when you're driving down in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and one of your church friends is driving next to you, they should look over at you and see you just talking away at yourself, and you're just preaching that gospel to yourself. I am not condemned. I am loved by God. I will not be afraid. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am more than a conqueror through the one who loved me and gave his life up for me. If God gave me his son, how will he not freely give me all things? I am crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life up for me that is who I am gotta get attitude this world requires a lot of attitude and your sinful nature requires a lot of attitude 
Because our biggest problem is not them. Our biggest problem is us. And we got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Man, the helmet of salvation. That's why Paul, you know, he's always talking about put on the mind of Christ, you know. Put on the new self in Jesus. I love it. Now the final thing, and then we'll talk about prayer, but the final piece of armor he talks about is also in verse 17. Now watch this. He says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How simple is this? The Word of God. The Bible is my sword. And it's very interesting because all of the other pieces of armor, the breastplate and the shoes and the belt and you got the helmet, all of those are defensive warfare pieces of armor. But the sword is the one offensive piece of weaponry that we're given, and it is the Word of God. Now, here's the way, again, I'm very masculine, as you can tell. I mean, obviously. And so when I read the Bible, I read it as a man. And when I see sword, I'm like, oh, I get to go lop off some heads today. Hallelujah. This is great. But here's what I discovered in studying it as I humbled myself or as the Holy Spirit humbled me. He made me realize that the sword of the Spirit really isn't for lopping off anybody's head or even a demon's head. In fact, here's what Hebrews chapter 4 says about this sword, which is the Word of God. Listen carefully. Hebrews 4, verses 11 and 12. It says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So you see what he's saying to the church. He's saying, don't fall into disobedience. And then he says in verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, that's interesting. He's saying that the Word of God, is, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. And he's saying it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And in this context, he's saying that the Word of God does not exist to destroy anything outside of me. The Word of God exists to do surgery on my own life. You see that? And then I recognize that in the Ephesians passage, what does he say? He says that the sword isn't something that we hold. Who holds the sword? The Holy Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. And the sword, it's like we, it's a very strange picture because it's like we got all this gear on, but we're not holding the sword. It's the Holy Spirit who's holding the sword. And guess where that sword is pointing? At me. You see that? And it divides my soul and, and the divisions that are going on in my life. Now listen, the Word of God is not like a sword to lop off my head. It's more like a scalpel. Now I'm changing metaphors. But it's like a scalpel that a surgeon would use to cut out sin in my life and to chip away at the edges. This is huge for spiritual warfare. Because, what time is it? Okay, we got this. I can do this, man. I am a professional. Don't try this at home. All right? I can do this. Here's what he's saying in all the armor. He's saying you are accepted. Everything he said about every piece of armor is you are accepted because of Jesus. The truth, the salvation, the belt, the breastplate of righteousness, all of that's gospel. But here's the thing. From a position of acceptance, I'm a child of God. Now God wants me to grow up into my position. 
He wants me to grow up in my position. He wants me to become obedient and holy, but not to earn my salvation, but out of salvation, out of acceptance. It's a big deal. So it's kind of like a baby is born, right? A baby is born, and you hold that baby, and it's happened four times in my life, and it's so wonderful. Every single time I held those little girls when they were first born, I just held them in my, in my arms, and they were so beautiful, obviously the most beautiful child that's ever been born. Can I get a hallelujah? Right? And you hold them in your arms, and, and what you notice is that they have everything in them at birth to become a developing human adult at birth. They have it all in them. It's in their DNA, it's in their blood, it's everything. And all they have to do is be nourished. And when they're nourished and they're fed, that food feeds all of those resources they already have. Now, when you and I are born again in Jesus Christ, we have everything we need to become holy and righteous, but we have to develop. We have to, we have to continue to mature. We have to continue to grow up into the head. You know, what happens with that little baby? So it's like so beautiful. And you notice that there's no proportion to the body. It's lopsided. The head is so big. And then it's got these little arms and these little legs. And you're like, is there something wrong with my baby? But it's not true. And if you took the little arm and you tried to wrap the arm around their head to touch the other side and their ear, they couldn't do it because you're hitting the side of their head because it's so freaking big. And so what happens is as they go, I'm sorry, <laughs> my daughters are like, oh, my gosh, please say amen. No. But what happens is, is that as you grow, your body begins to catch up to the head. And as an adult, you can reach around and touch your ear. And the sword of the Spirit, this is what Satan doesn't want you to do. He doesn't want you to grow up. He doesn't want you to mature. He, he, wants, he wants to keep your little Christianity light thing on the light end of things. He wants you to go to that dumb little church that preaches their little cookie-cutter sermons. You know what I'm saying? And you never grow, and you're never fed the Word of God. And what God says to you is, you are accepted and loved by me. You will never be any more, any less loved every single moment of your life because of my son, Jesus Christ. Now I want you to grow up, and I want you to learn the Word, and I want you to apply the Word to your life, and I want you to apply your, the Word to your life so that you begin to look more and more like Jesus. And you'll never be perfect. But the direction and the trajectory of your life moves towards Christ-likeness. It's like Michelangelo. He used to look at those big blocks of, of stone, you know, and his artist buddies would come along, and he'd be looking at that block of stone, and he would say, Moses is in that stone. And his friends would be like, you're cracked, man. He said, no, Moses is in there. I'm going to take this chisel, and I'm going to chip him out of there because he's already in there. And you and I are like blocks of stones. And the word of God begins to chip away at our lives until we begin to look like Christ in everything that we do. And that's why we need this book. We need to learn it. We need to go to church and hear it. And we need to listen to podcasts. And we need to read it at home. And we need to ask God, God, chip away at the edges. Use this to change my life. How do I stand against the schemes of the devil and the strength of Jesus, man? I take up the sword of the Spirit, and I let the Spirit have his way in my life through the Word of God. And what holds it all together? Well, what holds it all together is...
prayer. Let's go back and finish out this text. Back in Ephesians chapter 6. What holds it together is prayer. He says in verse 18, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I love that. And he's saying, listen, what holds it all together is an attitude and a lifestyle of prayer. He says, pray at all times. Keep alert, man. Don't, don't let down your guard. Always be praying. And Martin Luther used to say this about prayer, and I'll just close with this because it's real easy. Pray briefly, pray intensely, and pray often. Briefly. Everybody say briefly. You don't have to pray big, long prayers. Just pray briefly. You can pray briefly while you're riding down a car or leaving church today saying, Lord, may next sermon be much shorter. You know what I mean? It's easy. Pray intensely. Pray in Jesus' name. Pray believing that God is listening and pray often and have an attitude of prayer. God, help me today. Help me to put on the full armor. Help me to put on that truth, man. Help me to put on that breastplate. Help me to put on the shoes of readiness. Help me to put on the helmet of salvation. Help me to take up the shield of faith. Holy Spirit, help me grow in a biblical worldview and lifestyle that's according to the gospel of Jesus. That's the secret. Prayer holds it together. Now, what's the real secret? The real secret is this. You have a Savior who came into this world to be a warrior for you. He fought for you. Remember when he cast out those demons? What's your name? My name is Legion. And Jesus said, get out. He's a warrior. He's a warrior because when he died on the cross, he took our sin. He's a warrior because he defeated death because death could not hold him. And those who believe in him and follow him have a warrior who will always fight for you. He's your savior and he's your Lord. He's not a religious figure or some kind of opinion or some kind of inference or some kind of philosophy. Jesus is the person and the son of God who came into this world to fight for you. So run to him. Believe in him. Surrender to him. And if there's somebody here and you've not believed in Jesus Christ, this is a great time to make your peace with God. And how do you do that? You say, God, I have empty hands. I can't do this anymore. I need you in my life and I don't have peace with you. And I believe Jesus died for me so that I could be reconciled to you. Save me, Lord Jesus. And as you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And you'll have the God who will fight for you. That's the secret. That's spiritual warfare. Now we're going to pray here in a minute, but I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to have a time of prayer today. Be thinking about what God's put on your heart, what circumstance, what spiritual warfare you're going through, and just be praying about that. And after we sing, we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to have an opportunity for those online to pray as well, so be listening in. Don't check out right now, man. Hang in there with us online. We're still at church, so you need to stay at church. Can I get an amen? So let me pray real quick. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the gospel. 
Thank you that I don't have to have it all together for you to meet me where I'm at and to take me where I need to go. Thank you that I can run to you and you will fight my battle for me. You will fight the spiritual warfare I'm experiencing. Holy Spirit, take the word and chip away at the edges of our lives. Make us just a little bit more like Christ today than we were when we came in. 